You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, have you registered for the Producers Perspective Pro Super Conference right here in New York City, November 11th and 12th of this year? Visit theproducersperspective.com backslash conference. Register today. It's going to be awesome. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be a producer. Hey, it's Ken. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I hope it's pulling back the curtain on this business of Broadway. If you're looking to learn more about what makes this industry tick, go to my website, kendavenport.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. I'll send you one email a week one article about what I'm seeing, trends, insights, marketing ideas on what's happening on Broadway right now. That's kendavenport.com. Hope to see you there and in your inbox. Hello, everybody. Ken Davenport here. Welcome back to the Producers Perspective podcast. Very excited to have one of the pillars of our vibrant nonprofit theater community with us today. Please welcome to the podcast the founding artistic director of the new group, Mr. Scott Elliott. Welcome, Scott. Hey, Ken. Thanks for having me. So in addition to founding the new group and directing so many fantastic plays there, including Hurley Burley, The Woman of Lockerbie, and countless others, on Broadway, Scott directed Present Laughter and The Women and Three Sisters at the Roundabout, where he's an artistic associate, correct? Yeah, I think so. If you want to read his full bio, go to thenewgroup.org. So Scott, let's start with this. Do you remember the day you fell in love with the theater? I don't remember the day, but I certainly remember the feeling. You know, I think we all have the same thing. It's like, you know, it's like the musical chorus line all combined into one, all the characters combined into one little bits. You know, you wake up and you have a feeling that you want to be involved in, I guess, storytelling. I mean, you don't really realize, I don't think that's what it is when you're, when it hits you, but that's sort of, I think, what it is and become addicted to it. Were you an actor to begin with? Like, what was your first exposure to the Oh, yeah, I was an actor and I was a singer and I did you know, the high school stuff, and then, you know, went off and got a couple of jobs. And I mean, at one point I was in Les Mis. It was really during that that show that I realized that I didn't really want to be a performer anymore. Not because of the show, just it was, it was like almost like the Hamilton of the moment, you know, and, you know, you're a kid and you're in something like that and you realize this is what the rest is like. And I sort of made a detour out of performing uh, around that time. Was it because you were, who were you in Les Mis? Oh, I was just one of the, you know, guys on the barricade and played millions of little parts. Was it like, oh my God, I'm in the biggest hit ever. It's never going to get any better than this. Was that why you were I think everybody at that time, we all felt that way. It was the first sort of big mega musical that sort of won the hearts of people. And it was an exciting moment in the theater and the greatest artists were working on it. I mean, from the directors, obviously the writers, all the design elements were so new. I mean, nobody ever saw a turntable like that before, right? At that moment, sort of how I remember it. Yeah, it was a great associate director, Richard Alexander, who like took everybody through all the companies and you know maintained the shows, and it had a great feeling. But after you know doing it, and you realize that people love this something like this so much, what's the next thing? Like, what are you what are you going to do after that? And uh, I don't know. I just decided it wasn't for me. So before we go forward, I want to go back just one second. You said you were in high school shows and things. Yeah. Were you the star in high school or mm-hmm. were you just... Sort of. I think it's always that way. You're like the star in high school. Then you get here and you realize, oh, wait a minute. There's a lot of stars here. You know, I think that's what happens to a lot of performers and makes people make different decisions about the directions that they want to take in the industry, as I did. 
So I think a big difference, though, between you and a lot of other those people is you were smart enough to say, oh, this is there are a lot of stars here. I may be better or more suited or just happier doing something else. I experimented with a lot of different directions while I was still performing and, you know, and decided, you know, after sort of doing some things outside of the business and sort of thinking about other directions and things I could do, I, I decided, you know, you, you know, I also, I, I mean, I wasn't just in Les Mis. I was in a bunch of different things. And, you know, I worked with a lot of different directors and some well-known directors and some lesser-known directors. And, you know, I just sort of became addicted to the idea of directing and, uh, but never really wanted to pursue a directing career. I just didn't feel that I never wanted to go to college and learn how to be a director or, you know, knock on doors to become something. So that's what really inspired me to start the new group. And before you started the new group and you left some mm -hmm. things behind, you said you tried some other stuff. What were some of the things that you did that you were like? Well, I was pursuing a PhD in psychology for a while. Oh, like you do. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Just to sort of, you know, because I thought that that would be, I would be interested in that. And like performing on Broadway, I had a similar reaction where I sort of did it for a little bit. And then I realized mm, it really wasn't for me for many different reasons. Yeah. And then I thought, you know, I really had always wanted to, you know, I realized at that moment that I wanted to continue to be a storyteller. And I just, like I said, I didn't, I wasn't the sort of person that was interested in begging for work or anything like that. And so I thought, well, I'm going to give it a shot. And I started this theater company. It was an interesting process is that it, it felt so natural and it took off pretty quickly. So your instinct to start the new group and work as a the artistic director and as a director there was partly based on the fact that you didn't want to apply for any directing gigs anywhere else. That was part of it, you know, and also I felt, you know, like I said, I had worked a bit as an actor and I was observant and I saw how people interacted with producers and our directors and directing producers. And I just felt like if I was going to do it, I just wanted to do my own thing. No offense to you, Ken Davenport producer. No, I mean, I love my producer friends and have worked with some really great producers as a director as well very lucky and fortunate and collaborate with many producers, you know, commercial producers at New Group and loved every single one that's been through. But I just felt like I wanted to be, you know, if I was going to make something, if I was going to create something, which is, was my goal was to make things, I wanted to be able to make my own things. And so I figured if I was going to do that, I had to raise my own money and do it that way. And so I'm able to sort of have a, I'm very fortunate that it took off. I mean, I realized that luck is a huge part of it. And I thank everybody that, you know, helped me do it. When it took off, it felt so great to be able to sort of do my own work and then also to be able to produce work of other artists who I greatly admire and love and have worshipped, uh, you know, all sorts of things. So that's, that's sort of what inspired it. I think so, like lots of people, I'm sure a lot of the listeners out there have these big ideas of whether it's wanting to start a theater company or write a play or whatever it is. And I think the hardest thing to do is often to get started. Do you remember first thing you did, like practical thing you did when you were like, I'm going to start a theater company? What did you do next? I got a nonprofit. I got a nonprofit status because in order to raise money in the nonprofit, you have to have a nonprofit status. And it's, you know, if, if people are going to be giving, you know, charitable contributions for you to be able to do your work, 
that's what you need. So that was the first thing I did. And I was lucky enough that I had worked in the industry. So I had some friends along the way who helped me. Actors who I worked with, you know, when I first started the new group, I thought I wanted to have an acting company. And I had a friend that I started that with, and it just wasn't really, it was too hard to sort of maintain something like that in New York because you can't really pay people. So then I was, I thought, mm, that that's not going to be the way to go. I did that for a short while and then decided to turn it into a production company. But along the way, I learned, I sort of, I, I never went to school for directing and I never went to school for running a theater. I just sort of learned it along the way. And I still think that, I mean, knowing all the people now that work for me, that there's some an unconventional thing about New Group that I think makes it very attractive to people that love it and, and maybe repellent to people who don't. <laughs> but we have our own way of doing things. And it is, you know, it, it's a combination, I think, of all learned stuff, not taught stuff. What is the new group's mission statement? Our our mission is to sort of produce, you know, we're an artist-driven company because I'm an artist first. I mean, I really was, I only became a businessman by luck. I didn't really know anything about running a business or even thought about it. And and truthfully, we were artistically successful way before we were business successful. I mean, I had to catch up. It was several years of catching up and learning exactly what to do. But our mission is to present work that is current and in the now and addressing the certain, you know, the current human conditions. And that's why, in a way, it's called the new group, is because we always feel that we want to remain new and fresh and looking forward. I had a few other nonprofit artistic directors on, and they talk about how they are half producer at, as part of their responsibilities. What is your day-to-day -day like as an artistic director? You know, it combines both things. Like, I maintain a part of my day where I can be, you know, do my creative work, my personal sort of creative work, which is, you know, private and, you know, requires, I mean, I, I guess everybody does it their own way, but, you know, I, I do it my own way. And then the other part of the day, I do my other stuff, my fundraising. I mean, obviously, I have to do a lot of fundraising, raising, you know, we raise millions of dollars every year to do the work that we do. So we work on that. And I have wonderful business partners, you know, uh, over at New Group, Adam Bernstein, my executive director, and Jamie Lair, you know, development director, and Ian, my associate artistic director, who's been with me, uh, you know, pushing 20 years, almost the entire time that we've been around. Yeah, we just sort of get together and figure out how to do it. You know, it shifts over the years. So day to day, it's, that's what it is. It's, you know, we face whatever is in the business, as you do, you know, in your casting and putting shows together and fundraising and marketing and making sure that people know who we are. And now with the, I mean, obviously I was in it, you were probably too before the internet really was, you know, figuring out how to do that now. And that's such a big thing now with the social media sort of thing. So that, that that's how my day is. It's, it's very enjoyable. I do have, I mean, it, it's stressful sometimes, but it's a very enjoyable profession. I do feel lucky and, and, and happy to, to be doing it. And, and, and every day, even though uh, I, you know, it could be challenging, as you know, putting these shows together and dealing with all sorts of personalities involved, it's quite enjoyable. We're lucky. You talked about having some time for your creative part of what you do. Do you compartmentalize it like that from a practical level? I know a lot of people out there wear different hats or are doing day jobs and things. Do you say, okay, from 7 a.m. to oh, no. 10 a.m.? No, it's like you fit it in the cracks. You fit it in between the meetings and between the cracks. But I make sure that I, I allow myself, you know, part of every day where I can actually sit with my work, you know, my creative work. And then the other part of the day is up for grabs. But it all mushes together, obviously, you know a lot but and you know we do a lot of development work at the new group we develop a lot of, of work that you don't even see you know just writers and we try to provide opportunities for people to see their work or hear their work or 
you know, if we can help people develop their work through notes or whatever, we, we, we're very active that way. And so part of the day is also giving, you know, we are, you know, we are a charitable organization as every nonprofit is. I try to think of as many ways as possible to give back, to give back to the community and the artists. You were teaching a class on raising money. What would be the number one tip you would give to your students? I think you have to, you have to have a clear vision and you have to be able to sort of, you know, succinctly state what you're doing because money people, some of the people with money don't have the attention span to live, to listen as long as, as we would like to talk. You know, we artists love to blah, blah, blah all day long. We could talk. And I think that you just have to be direct and cross your fingers. That's really what it is. I mean, as I said, I was, I, I learned how to do it after I, after the new group was already successful, I was still learning how to do it. Like we, we're very behind the first five years as far as fundraising. People thought we were much richer and much more successful than we were. And it took a while to figure it out and to catch up. And also, I think you have to be, you have to be bold in order to raise money. You have to be not afraid to ask. You have to not be afraid of a no, you know, because you might get a no. And you have to like pray for a yes. And you have to have a response when somebody says a no to know how you're going to try to keep them engaged. And uh, I think boldness is a is a big part of producing, right? We all have to do that. You do it on your way. I mean, in your way, people have a chance to either lose their money or make a lot of money, right? In the case of us, they don't make any money, but maybe they can come to the show and feel good, you know, <laughs> or something like that. And you have to express those sorts of things to people. And, and I think you have to be bold in your assertions and bold in your choices of people that you ask and not be afraid. I had a boss once tell me, Ken, never go into nonprofit because he just knew my personality. And also I think because I don't know how you do it. Like I, raising money is hard for me too. And I think everyone out there needs to realize that what you just said about sometimes you're going to get a no. Most often you're going to get a no. Even when I successfully raise millions of dollars, I've still gotten more no's than yeses. Oh, yeah. I mean, for us, it's different because, you know, it, the difference between obviously commercial and nonprofit is that we look to people who are philanthropic, you know, and that's a very, very different person than wants to write a check and possibly win a Tony Award. You know, it's a very different personality. And thank God there are very wealthy people out there who still believe in philanthropy and that there is a real need to help to develop the work of the future Broadway artists who might, you know, have the next commercial Nash. And I think that there are a lot of people out there who really do that. And there are a lot of people out there who disappointingly don't. And in our industry, you know, and I think that the giving back to the nonprofit is an important, it's important. It's important. I mean, I'm not saying that people need to give to the new group. There are millions of nonprofits out there and you should give to the, people should give to the theaters that they relate to or that they feel inspired by or that they might go see a show and like, hey, I love that lighting design. You know, because people, you know, the commercial world gets their, well, food from the nonprofit. We train them. You know what I mean? And we give, and on the other end, we also give the great commercial artists that we, that are on Broadway different ways to express so that they feel connected to who they are when they might be working on, you know, a big behemoth Disney musical, let's say. That's, you know, a more corporate sort of vision. I think it's important. It keeps everybody healthy, the nonprofits. And the giving, giving is very important, I think. You know, I'm not, I'm in the nonprofit and I give. So you have to. It's part of it. There's a great quote out there that I love that says, what you're not getting from the world is probably what you're not giving to the world. Well, that's right. That's right. 
I'll be hitting you up after this interview, Ken. Oh, Get your shit. checkbook out. Get out your credit card. We take credit cards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you do. Oh, look, you threw me. I can't even remember my next question. I've been thrown here. Do you think the role of the nonprofits has changed in the American theater since when you started today? Well, definitely. I mean, off-Broadway has changed, and on-Broadway has changed. Truthfully, when I was growing up in New York, the plays that I would see on Broadway are now being produced in the nonprofits. I think that's probably why I'm doing it, you know, because I'm attracted to this sort of work. But now the greatest plays are, are happening in the nonprofits. And also when, but when we started, it was different. There was a commercial off-Broadway that really barely exists now, exists very little. I mean, I think we're engaged in a little, a little Avenue Q thing together, but really it, it, the commercial off-Broadway is, it used to be, you could see great plays, I can remember seeing phenomenal plays off-Broadway in the commercial world, and that is, became too expensive. And the nonprofit are doing the, you know, the, the work that is uh, now the most groundbreaking work. And I think back when I started, it was sort of spread around a little bit more. People were still doing a little bit of it on Broadway, not that much anymore. You know, the bigger, the nonprofit off-Broadways have also had to go toward the more commercial, when back in the day they might have been taking more risks. It's just all financial, I guess. It's hard. Big, the big, huge nonprofits have huge overheads and uh, to keep the theaters full. Is the New York nonprofit theater community a competitive one? A friend that you find yourself competing for plays or artists or... I mean, I, I personally don't. I I mean, I don't know whether other people do. I don't feel that from my colleagues, you know, the ones that I that I know. I think we all have our... I mean, my feeling is, is you don't really need to, there's so much interesting stuff out there that you don't, I don't feel the need to compete. And if I feel that somebody else is competing for something, I usually step away. I, you know, I just feel that if somebody wants it that bad, you should let them have it. So I, uh, I'm not really that competitive in that world. And I, I found a couple of times over the years where I felt it, that it, it, it just made me not, it, it made me more focused on the relationships than the work. And like, you know, that sort of, why are you competing? What, what's this competition? There, there, There's no real need for it. Does that exist on Broadway? I mean, I know it does for like ticket selling and, but for projects, do you find that you're competing, competing sometimes with other producers for commercial projects? You do. I it see. certainly has happened to me. But as you, as you said that, I'm just thinking back the few times that I have been in competition with someone else for the rights to a project right. or someone or something. And I think you're probably right. It's gotten into more of the relationship and just the competitive edge of it all and rather than the project itself. Yeah, it's not really worth it when it gets into the relationship. It's a small community. You know, we all have to get along. Yeah, the people, <laughs> look, even the people, I'm thinking back to those few moments, the people that I was in competition with, I've since partnered with on other projects. Right. It all comes around. It does come around. And we've partnered with over the years a couple of times with other nonprofits. It's always pleasant. Do you feel the need to get a Broadway theater with so many nonprofits going that route? Mm -mm. No, that's a big undertaking. I, you know, plus the new group's work is intimate, and that's what people really come to the new group for. They they want an intimate experience. They want to be able to see great acting up close. They want to be able to sort of like feel the work as opposed to sort of like be removed from the work. And and truthfully, that's my interest. As in, that's what I love. And so no. Not pursuing a Broadway theater, although we have a couple of projects that might, you know, make it to Broadway that are in our pipeline, and and that's that's lovely. If something like that happens, it's always nice to sort of be if a, if a project has an ability to have a, a larger reach to be able to let the artists have that opportunity. Anyway, no, <laughs> no, I enjoy it. It's it's very enjoyable, you know, the the way that it is. I just don't have that that sort of ambition. <laughs> 
And what do you look for in a script, something that crosses your desk? If you were placing an ad for scripts for the new group, what would it say? I mean, I think probably a lot of people do this, but I find that I'm always very attracted to the, the, the play that's personal, that comes from people's, maybe their hearts and their guts, maybe a little less their head. And uh, I, I find myself attracted to those scripts, and our audiences are too. They, they respond to, you know, shows that are responding to the current human condition. And so that's, that's what we look for. How does a new writer, an emerging writer, get on your radar that's always the hard thing. I mean, we, you know, we do, we, we produce four shows a year. There's hundreds to choose from. We have a submission process. Everything gets looked at. Sometimes things break through. Most of the time they don't. And I hate to say that show does, but I guess that's, that's the, rea- this, the sort of sad reality of it is that there's so, so many people vying for so few slots. Submit the play. See what happens. And if, if they didn't get in, if they didn't get picked by you or anyone else, what else would you advise these people to do? Is there another path for them? I would never have wanted somebody to tell me there was another path for me. I knew through, my, as I had said earlier in our interview, through personal investigation, that there was nothing else that I wanted to do more than this. And it was that moment that I realized that, okay, well, no matter what, I'm doing it. Truthfully, on The first play that was a hit at New Group, Mike Lee's play Ecstasy, which we produced, it was my last $10,000. You know what I mean? And it ran for a year. So it was was interesting. But it was, I mean, that's how much, I mean, it was like a, it got, it got down to that. I can remember paying my rent on those. Remember you used to get those credit card checks? I don't know if you went through that, but you know, I mean, I wanted it bad enough to do that. And it wasn't really a want. It was more like, I felt like it was just what I, what I should do. You know, it was a crazy, sort of feeling. So if you have that feeling, there's very little that you can do to stop it. Whether you're, I guess, whether you're talented in the eyes of New York City or you're not, some people can't give it up. And I think that if you can give it up or you can think of something else that you would rather be doing, I mean, everybody says this, but you should just do that. Because it is a a business of hardships and it is a business of ups and downs. And endurance is challenging. They love you one minute, they hate you the next, you're up, you're down. It's the same old crazy story. Endure. And if you have that feeling that that you have to do it, like I think you do, I do, and many people that we know do, then you just have to do it and you have to figure it out. In 2017, would you advise someone to start their own theater company? That's an interesting question. Probably wouldn't, just because of the way the funding and everything is just so different. Like I feel like the new group got in 20 years ago, right under the wire <laughs> when before like I might have been not been able to sort of accomplish it it's challenging to sort of to get a theater company going in in this way New York is now in culture I hate discouraging people but I, I don't know that I would do it now I might have had to like bang on the doors again and try to find a directing job <laughs> something tells me you'd figure it out anything that you would have done differently in how the new group was formed creative or your oh, a million things but that's life. You you always do things that you always have regret, but you have to move through them. You know, you have to just let them sort of influence you in a way. I mean, I can't think of anything specifically that I would have done differently, but yeah, a million. I would have corrected a million things. I, I mean, I would have corrected a million things I've said. Of course, we're human. Actors, auditioning them. What do you look for when someone walks in a room? How do they get a call back from you? Not even get the job, just how do they how do they get to that second stage with you? It's really all about chemistry. It's about, you know, talent and chemistry. Like if I feel something, 
that's how it works. It is, there's no science, and I might feel something for somebody on one thing, and and then on the next thing they don't they don't connect for it. And you know, you have feelings about the work that you're doing and the way that you want the people the piece to feel. And but there's no there's no exact science. I don't think there's no like audition tips or anything like that that I feel like I can offer. It's just to come in and be as truthful and connected to the material as possible and give it your go. How early in the process do you get involved with the writers on a, a new play? Are you very active in giving them notes? And I think, yes. I mean, it, it's, in, it's in levels. I think we have different levels of development and the things that we develop, develop. And Ian, my associate artistic director, he works a lot with the writers that are the newer writers and the people that we're developing. And pe- people really do love working with him. And he's very clear about his notes. And when he feels the script is ready, he'll pass it on to me and then, you know, say what I think of it. And so we have a pretty organic process of doing it. And, and of course, every writer is different. Some people are like sponges and want it. And sometimes you could sit with somebody and you're like, hmm, they don't, they don't want to hear that or they don't want to collaborate that way. And it doesn't really make me want to work with somebody more or less. It really is just about what's on the page. But w- once I decide I'm going to direct a play, I get very involved in the development of it. And if I'm producing it, I'm, you know, like a producer. I tell people what I think. You know, I hope that I can help tell people what I think. And, you know, we've watched, we've all watched shows rise to the top and we've watched some sink. But I say they're all my children. They're like children. You love them all the same. And what happens when one of those children disappoints you? Like, how do you, how do you get up the next day and, and deal with it if something that you love so much just Oh, it's happened many times. Yeah. I mean, it's happened many times. And look, look, there are certain times where I think something is working like gangbusters and somebody else might not. So it really is. I mean, I just, I just always tell myself that art in general is so personal. And one man's X is another man's Y, you know? And so I try to keep thinking about that. And, you know, I always know, I always know, if nothing else, that me and everybody on my team at New Group we do everything we possibly can to make those shows connect with our audiences as best as we can. And sometimes we hit a home run and sometimes we don't. I think our audiences forgive us for that, whether they connect. And quite frankly, it's some, on some places, it's like, so, cause you know, we take a lot of risks and we do a lot of new writers and we do a lot of things that I maybe, maybe some other theaters might not even look at. And in that way, things are going to be polarizing. But I find that personally exciting. As long as people come, I don't mind if people, if, if audiences are, you know, polarized, they hate it and they love it. I just don't like the meh. I don't like when people are like, meh, you know, like that sort of thing. I like, I hated that. And I like, I loved that. And so that, so we try to make everything as clear and as good as we possibly can. And yeah, that's how I deal with it. You know, just move on. There's always, you know, the, the cool thing about my job is that after the one play, the next play is starting. And so it has that sort of sense of, of that and it's a new feature of the podcast. Any life hacks, any apps you use that you love that help you get through the day? Any productivity tips? You're obviously a very, very busy guy. Do you play chess on the weekend to keep yourself sane? I do the New York Times crossword puzzle every day. Every day? Yeah, every day. Do you uh, solve them all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sunday too? Oh, yeah. Sunday's the easy puzzle. Friday, Saturday is the this. hardest puzzle. Monday is the easy, easy. Sunday's just big. But you have to, you can get over it if you take the time. <laughs> but that's my thing. I, I, it's my sort of brain clearer. I do the New York Times quote and I have the app and I do it on my, uh, I make sure I do it every day. I, I think somebody told me if you do it every day, you might not get Alzheimer's. 
I'm only kidding. I mean, I did hear that, but that's not the reason I do it. But I've been you doing it. I, it's a <laughs> I've been doing it. I've been doing it since I was a very young, and I'm still addicted to it. I just it's just part of my daily routine. Is it like a somewhat of a and obviously a very healthy one, but a compulsion? Can can you go to sleep without doing it? Like, you, or do it really? Like I might say it is a little bit of a compulsion. Yeah. I might I might fall asleep uh, with my iPad, uh, you know, on my chest half, with a half-done puzzle. No, it's just one of those things that I find just, I, I look forward to it every day. I look forward to the harder ones more than the easy ones these days. Well, that that would certainly make sense, choosing a life in the theater. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> we look for exactly. the harder puzzles. Exactly, exactly. Okay, our last question here, yeah. which is my genie question. I want you to imagine the genie from Aladdin comes to visit you. And wants to thank you for all your contributions to the theater by granting you one wish. What is the one thing that drives you nuts about the New York theater scene? Makes you so angry, could have you throwing things, swearing up a storm, that you'd want this genie to wish away in an instant? It's an unrealistic wish. I guess I'm going to say, I don't have anything. I, I can't think of anything to wish away. I think it's cool. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it for all its things and all its nuttiness. What would you wish away? I have so many things, Scott. We could be here forever. Oh, really? I mean, look, the one and many people have said it, the hardest thing for a producer today is to get a theater. So right. we have many airplanes circling the runways looking to land right now. That there would be more theaters, yeah. But then again, if there were more theaters, there would probably be more failures because there isn't enough audience I know, it's a terrible thing them. to say that, but like that would be cool if there were more failures. Because that means that people were being doing more... Risky things, you know, like, so in a way, I understand the economics of it, and I don't want anybody to lose their money, but normally people don't invest in theater unless they can flush the money down the toilet, right? I mean, you don't give people money that, like, nobody's going to give you their last dollar to invest in your next show. So I always think it's like a, it is a risk, and it's part of the gamble, and, and I think that's one of the things that sort of brings us all together, is we do enjoy the gamble of it. It's a fun, it's fun. It, that's why I always think it's, we're so privileged, because it has a fun element to it. There's a crazy sort of gamble to every day. And, and not everybody has that in their life. <laughs> and it's a strange addiction, I think. It is a, a thing like that. But I can understand the need for more theaters. And it would be cool if there were. Because there'd be more failure. So really, you're, you're wishing for more failure in the I'm theater. I'm not wishing for more failure in the theater. I'm saying that like it would be cool if there were more. Because that would mean that people were taking more risks. And I think it's healthy to take risks. I mean, there are some producers out there who do take risks, and it's admirable. I think you're right on. In fact, we Thomas Edison is famous for having thousands and thousands of patents, and we only really remember one. Right. That's right. He that's had to fail that's an thousands of times in order to create the light bulb. That's right. I think that's what we did. Failure. I don't look at the nonprofit as failure, because we're always growing. But in, uh, when I look at Broadway, you, do, you can't help but think about the tears. The tears in the nonprofit are a little bit different. We're very nurturing. <laughs> We're part hospital. Only kidding, we're not. That's just a joke. But we're, we're, we try to be as nurturing as we possibly can. Well, given the great work you've done at the New Group, it's obviously you are very nurturing to, to uh, writers and audiences alike. So thank you for that. Thank you for spending time with us today and nurturing all the listeners out there. Thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. We will see you next time. Don't forget to register for the Super Conference. We've got Broadway directors coming and Broadway writers coming, all sorts of experts on what it takes to get a show from the page to the stage. November 11th and 12th, not too far away. Visit theproducersperspective.com backslash conference. We'll see you there.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.